News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Guys, today's show is sponsored by Direct Action Texas. You can visit them at directactiontx.com. Direct Action Texas is a political advocacy organization in the DFW area. They focus on four main areas, uh, government transparency, government ethics, public debt, civil liberties. They have a single mission. It's to help the grassroots take action in changing local government. On top of that, they have become the premier organization, the leading voice when it comes to uh, voter fraud, election fraud, voter integrity. Um, Daniel Greer is their new executive director, and he is doing work in the Capitol. He's doing work um, in the grassroots, writing about researching voter fraud all across the state of Texas, election fraud that we are dealing with here in our in our state. We need that organization actively involved. If you want to be engaged in what they're doing, if you want to be informed as to what they're being involved in, go to directactiontx.com, directactiontx.com, sign up to be on their email list, make a small donation, support the efforts they're doing. It's well worth your time. It's well worth your effort. I would greatly encourage you to check them out. Welcome to episode 12 of the Luke Messias Show. Uh, Raz, thank you for joining me today. I, I missed you last week, but thanks for, for coming back on. My pleasure, man. Good to be back. So I've got good news and bad news for everybody out there. Um, the bad news is that um, there is a sickness that continues to try to attack me. I don't believe in getting sick, so I'm not sick. Sickness is a state of mind, but there are sicknesses out there that at times decide to try to attack my body. Uh, I am winning, um, but the battle is not over. So that is the bad news. The good news is for y'all that this will be a slightly shorter podcast episode, I think, so that we can... Um, you know, survive without me coughing and hacking and doing other stuff that you do not need to hear. Um, and so let's get right into our Texas update. And then Raz is going to give us a quick national update. Um, guys, I want to set the table for where we are on property tax relief, on spending, on property tax reform. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts that have come out over the last even 48 hours. And I uh, want to explain to you what's going on. So here's, here's the reality. At the start of the legislative session, um, our big three, Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, and Dennis Bonin, said that they had two priorities, property tax reform and relief and school finance reform. At the end of the day, um, now that we have 40 days left in session, the school finance reform package was relatively agreed to and it's moving through the process. But in so doing, we've kind of forgot about property tax reform and relief. And what I mean by that is uh, we spent a whole lot of money. We spent, I've already said this, but we spent our, we're spending our savings account. We're spending our surplus. We're spending all of the money that we think we are going to collect in taxes. And yet we're really not prioritizing property tax relief or even reform within that. And what I mean by that is there's currently 2.7 billion put aside for property tax relief, which is going to provide an average of $150 uh, of reduction in your property taxes. I don't know about you, but my property taxes went up more than $150 just this year. So if you reduce it, I'm still getting a tax increase and I'm still on an unsustainable path. Second, um, reform would require a 2.5% cap on school property taxes. And currently, the legislature in its appropriations legislation is expecting for property taxes to increase 
over 6% in 2019 and over 4% in 2020, which means that the appropriators are not anticipating putting a lid on property taxes. That would be reform. And then the relief is relatively small in comparison to how much we're growing government. I mean, we're growing spending by 16% biennium over biennium. So that's our current situation. This week, Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and Speaker Bonin came out in favor of a sales tax increase. A sales tax increase of one penny. And that increase would lead to $10 billion in additional taxing revenue, which means they would increase taxes by $10 billion. They said they wanted to do this in an effort to provide more money for property tax relief. So we're going to raise the sales tax and we're going to provide more money for relief. Um, the biggest concern the conservatives brought up first was the fact that rumors around the legislature were that only 75% of the tax increase would get spent on relief and 25% would get spent on more government spending and public education. I think we would all agree that if you raise taxes and then spend some of that money on more government, you're making a couple statements. One, you're saying that government's currently not big enough, right? We need to increase taxes, we need more revenue, and then we need to spend that on more government. And, uh, and two, it's really hard to say that that's not a blatant, clear tax increase because you're not raising taxes and then giving that all back to individual property taxpayers. But let me talk about the bigger problem. The bigger problem is that within this statement, uh, it wasn't said that it would lead to $10 billion in, in tax relief. It was said that it would lead to billions in tax relief, which seems to open the door to saying we still are open to spending a lot of this money on, on more government. And then the other problem is that our current budget and the legislature's current property tax reform does not put a serious lid on school taxes. So let me talk about what happened yesterday. Yesterday, House Bill 2 was set to come before the Texas House of Representatives. And through the committee process, schools had been taken out of the legislation. So the legislation was only going to put a rollback cap on cities, counties, and other small taxing units. Everybody knows that the majority of your property tax bill is the school M&O tax. And so if you're not going to address schools within a property tax reform package, it's not a very serious property tax reform package. Conservatives in the Texas House Freedom Caucus, each and every one of them filed amendments to put schools back into the legislation, making it clear that that was a priority. Representative Briscoe Kane was reported and quoted in the Texas scorecard earlier yesterday saying that it was his impression that Governor Abbott wasn't even going to support a cap if it did not have schools involved. That caused a lot of consternation, as you can imagine. The governor ended up meeting with multiple legislators and the press and letting everyone know that, yes, indeed, he did not support capping legislation that did not include schools. Now, he said that he didn't need it to be done in House Bill 2. It could be done in, an, in another vehicle, uh, potentially House Bill 3. But once that issue was brought to light and once that fact was brought to light, all of a sudden, all the conversations began to happen. And we learned a couple things. We, we learned first and foremost that in the Texas Senate currently, there is not the votes necessary to pass property tax caps on schools. The Democrat caucus in unison opposes it, which means that every single Republican would have to be on board. And Kel Seliger from the Texas Panhandle does not want to cap schools. Now, again, if you try to give property tax relief, meaning a buy-down, a temporary buy-down of your taxes, but you don't put a lid, 
Everyone here knows how that happens. All, all that all that happens is your appraisals continue to increase. Local governments keep their rates at the same and your property tax bill goes up and up and up and up. So if Texas is temporarily buying down some, all of that will be eaten away. You know, when Rick Perry pushed the business franchise tax, um, you know, he took the M&O rate, I think for like $1.50 to a dollar or something. I mean, it was a serious compression. We talk about a serious compression, meaning we're taking in a whole lot of taxes and we're using that to buy down property taxes. But over the years, all of that was eaten up. So then we just had a new tax that taxed more people and property taxes were back up to where they were before. And that is what the Freedom Caucus has been trying to prevent from happening. In fact, Representative Matt Schaefer came out publicly on a television interview the day this sales tax was rolled out and said, we will support this with two, with under two, uh, you know, basically prerequisites. One is that 100% of this sales tax goes to buying down property taxes. And two, that it comes after a serious lid has been put on all property tax drivers, schools, counties, and uh, cities. Now, the Freedom Caucus also came out with a public statement on their Facebook page similar to this, saying that this was their requirements. Um, Democrats don't support a sales tax increase. Now, let's kind of take a step back and remind everyone that conservatives like a sales tax in comparison to other taxes. That doesn't mean we like a sales tax. It just means that at the end of the day, we think that when you do tax people, the most effective and efficient way to do so is to tax as many people as possible in as fair a way as possible in a manner that they can control. If you do not want to go buy more stuff, you do not have to pay more taxes. Where a property tax or an income tax or anything else puts perverse incentives, right? It incentivizes you not to own your property. It in, in fact, it says you will never own your property because if you don't pay your property tax one year, they can come after you. And the income tax, which incentivizes you against making more income, which produces more wealth in society. So sales taxes are good, but if a sales tax is not fully dedicated to buying down the property tax, property taxes, and we haven't put a serious lid on property taxes, then we're just raising taxes on all Texans. We appreciate Representative Schaefer, the Freedom Caucus coming out and clearly setting the table. Once it was out that property tax reform does not currently have the votes to pass the Senate, on the House side, you basically had them at a standstill all day. And they were trying to figure out whether they were even going to hear property tax reform legislation. Uh, they ended up delaying it till Monday. So from now till Monday, in fact, this episode is going to come out on Monday. So while you're listening to this, they are currently potentially debating property tax reform. If they're not, it means that they still haven't figured out an agreement and they're still working on that. The Freedom Caucus and conservatives in the legislature seem uh, committed to making sure that schools are a serious conversation in this debate. And if that becomes the case, and if schools are put in, then that will mean that the appropriators in Texas will have to find more money within their budget, which is a huge budget. They'll have to find a couple billion more to put towards um, that cap of schools. And so uh, the good news is that Dennis Bonin, Dan Patrick, and Greg Abbott essentially admitted that there's not enough property tax relief in our current plan. I mean, that's what they did when they came out with the sales tax increase. They basically said, we have ignored property taxpayers. Property taxpayers are paying too much and they need to pay less. Therefore, we are open to even increasing the sales tax. Um, the, the bad news is they weren't clear about whether that was 100% dedication and they weren't clear about whether or not when they say a cap needs to happen, that it all includes schools and it includes schools at a rate of population and inflation growth because anything over that is, again, simply another tax increase that's going to continue to happen and eat away at this sales tax dedication. Anyways, I hope that wasn't too confusing. I am trying to, within a 10-minute period of time, 
explain to you how our property tax system works, what legislation is on the table, and what's being discussed. Um, but what I would encourage you to do is reach out to all of your lawmakers and let them know that your taxes are too dang high and your property taxes are unsustainable. And if there is one thing that Republicans need to come out of this session uh, messaging wise with, it's that we delivered serious property tax reform and relief that will actually matter for the average property homeowner. And that is what will make a difference when it comes to these suburban areas and these voters that Republicans have been losing over the last several election cycles. So that is my update on the Texas side. Raz, what do you have? Well, just I'll weigh in on that. I got my tax notice, uh, my appraisal increase and tax increase notices last week, and I am definitely quite angry about it. So I'm hoping they'll get something done. It's, it's, uh, I'm pretty tired of all this Yahoo stuff. Yep. Jumping into the federal side, got uh, got five main things I wanted to point out to folks this week. Uh, first of all, uh, the U.S. Attorney General Barr was uh, was before Congress this last week talking about uh, the Mueller probe, and he uh, he drew a lot of fire from Democrats when he was asked about uh, spying on the Trump campaign. Basically, mm. he was asked if they thought that happened, and he said that yes, he he did believe there's spying this that was going on. And this is all comes back to how this investigation that turned into the Mueller probe actually began. And he said what, what the problem is, is and what they have to investigate from the Attorney of the General's office was what was the predicate for that spying. It's, it's basically, was it appropriate or not? And so they're going to go back and they're going to look at what started this investigation and whether or not the right... Uh, the right warrants were put in place, and if whether or not there was fraud that took place as far as how they obtained those warrants. So the question is not was there spying that took place. We we actually know definitively that there was. Uh, whether or not it was truly legal is the question, and that's what the attorney general is going to look into. Uh, that's really important whether yep. you like Trump or you hate him. Uh, we we've looked back at our country's history and we've seen abuses in the past, going back to J. Edgar Hoover and beyond, of people that yep. were spying on political opponents. Uh, FDR and others used government vehicles to uh, go after people they didn't like politically and that were coming up against them. And it hasn't all been one-sided as far as political parties. So we should be concerned when people that have hold of the levers of power are using them to skew things and to use the what should be the justice system to go after their political opponents. And so my hope yeah. is that the Attorney General will handle this well and we'll get to the bottom of some of these the underlying predicate for that investigation. The second item is uh, Bernie Sanders rolled out the Medicare for All bill in the Senate this last week, and it is uh, hmm. it's as bad or worse than, than it could be imagined. It's actually worse than the one that he rolled out in 2015 in the last Congress, and uh, and this really goes all the way to a single-payer system. It does things like penalizing, uh, it, it removes all basic insurance plans and put them under one government program. It actually mm. would uh, roll back and would exclude all current uh, government health care programs like Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, all of that stuff and rolls it into one central authority. It actually outlaws private insurance companies from having plans that do the same thing, that provide the same or duplicate coverage. So it actually makes it illegal for you to have your own insurance plan. And it's a, it's a question mark as far as whether to even allow some of these alternative plans like MediShare and Samaritan's Purse and stuff like that. It also means that doctors, if let's say you have a doctor that says, well, I don't want to do, yeah, I want to allow people to do cash pay, no insurance stuff. I want to be able to have a direct mm-hmm. contract with my patients. It actually yep. pretty well makes that illegal. It basically makes it to where a doctor cannot do both uh, insurance-based payments with a government uh, single payer and do a private contract with an individual. It would penalize them heavily and make them have to file affidavits on that. To, to say each of the times that they're doing those relationships and it would ban them from getting any kind of reimbursement for 
people through that uh, that Medicare for all thing. So it would it penalizes doctors, it penalizes patients, it takes away all kinds of opportunities for Americans to actually be covered and removes coverage from uh, from a couple hundred million Americans actually. So it's it's really really bad. Um, most of the I think most of not all of the Democrats that are in the Senate who are running for president have signed on as co-sponsors to that, and obviously has mm-hmm. a whole lot of support from Democrats in the House. So we don't really have, I'm not really worried about it moving anywhere in the Senate. It's really they're trying to lay out their plan, and they've done a very good yep. job of laying it out. But it's absolutely catastrophic, and it should be very concerning to all of us. Number I mean, f- how look look at how far we've come from, uh, you know, Obama saying if you like your insurance, you can keep it. Um, to to this point, right? And that kind of shows the incremental approach to more and more government control. It also shows just how um, aggressive Democrats feel like they can be in the current environment, that they Very are much. fine coming out aggressively and making it clear that, yes, we literally want the government to completely take over. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I love uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Buddha, Buddha judge, right? You keep saying, <laughs> I, can't um, pronounce it. I don't, I don't like democratic socialism because socialism's lost its meaning. And it's like, well, socialism has a meaning and it's, it's the legislation that Bernie Sanders is currently putting forward. And, um, you know, one, uh, I appreciate the fact that they're actually willing to have the discussion on, you know, socialism versus, um, allowing the markets to have a role with how to distribute uh, cost of you know goods and services and um, and I don't know where America is at in this moment in time. I'm pretty sure I know where Texas is at, um, but it's going to be a very interesting debate if this these type of policies continue on going into November of 2020. Number three on my list, uh, paid family leave has been a topic that's drawn a lot of attention, and uh, Ivanka Trump has actually gone out and and been a big proponent of paid family leave. And this is an issue that for conservatives has been a very touchy thing because with the president and his daughter pushing this, with a lot of people on the Democrat side pushing for paid family leave, what this really mm-hmm. comes down to is, is a government mandate and growing government role in our businesses and our and through federal programs. But Mike Lee, one of my very favorite senators, possibly my favorite, depends on the day, he came out with a really interesting proposal that I think deserves a lot of a lot of thought. And so his paid family leave proposal, it actually, what it does is it doesn't grow government at all. It simply removes a, a ban as far as labor law. And right now, if you're, so Luke, if I'm working for you and I'm a, uh, if, and I'm an hourly employee, if I'm working over 40 hours, by law, you have to pay me time and a half for over 40 hours. You mm-hmm. just have to do it. There's no way that I can say, well, hey, I'd love for paid time off or something like that. This would remove that ban. And so it would allow for an employee to elect whether they want uh, overtime, that time and a half pay, or if they want paid time off. This would, by removing that that legal barrier, so instead of growing government, shrinking government actually, and, and their role in that, it would allow individuals who are hourly employees to basically accrue that paid time off that they could use for paid family leave or really any kind mm. of any kind of paid leave. Yep. And it, it actually puts, uh, you know, labor unions and folks are saying, well, that the, the employee, or the employer could, uh, could pressure somebody one way or the other. And it actually has the protections in place to make sure that doesn't happen and to add a penalty to, to employers who try to push them one way or the other. So it's mm-hmm. a really, really novel approach that I think conservatives should take a close look at because doing this would, one, it would shrink the rule of government, but two, it would provide a really good opportunity to, for us to be champions of, uh, of providing this kind of flexibility and paid family leave to to folks who need it. So I found that really exciting, and I'm hopeful that he'll get some traction on it. Uh, Democrats in the past have opposed this um, mm-hmm. fairly predictably. Labor unions, oftentimes they work for their own benefit, not the benefit of their members, and this is an instance yep. when they are definitely doing that. 
Number four on my list is that you know, we've talked a lot about the politics of transgenderism here on the podcast with our from our first interview on. And the Democrats mm-hmm. in the House, along with two Republicans, actually all but one Democrat in the House and two Republicans, voted to pass a bill that would basically make it to federally to where you have to allow uh, biological males to compete on women's high school and, and school sports teams. Uh, they passed this. It's DOA in the Senate. But it's very, very concerning because this is this is a massive step on the federal side, basically at trying to add uh, transgender individuals to the, I think, the 64 Civil Rights Act. And it's it's very, very problematic. It's anti-science, and it's going to lead to a lot of problems. Uh, on the political side, interestingly enough, you have a lot of feminists that are coming out against this type of legislation, having mm-hmm. ostracized from the LGBTQ communities because they're seen as traitors. When what they're actually doing is they're standing up there saying, wait a second, this this is basically us removing women's sports altogether. And so it's there was even some people as far as talking about the the testimony and in Congress talking about how this was not science based. That there's no reason to believe that uh, that there would not be a competitive environment, which is just it's ridiculous. Uh, especially as we're seeing mm-hmm. examples, I think in Connecticut, of a couple biological males competing and just wiping the floor with women on the track teams on the statewide yep. circuit. It's uh, it's just patently absurd. And my last, go ahead. No, you go ahead. My last point is that President Trump, in a, in a very, very smart move, he labeled the Iranian Revolutionary Guard as a, as a terrorist organization. Uh, hmm. this, this may seem like a small thing because you know, there are a number of different groups out there that are, are, are named as these organizations. But it gives a, a lot of special power that we can have as far as leverage over the Iranian government. By naming the Iranian Revolutionary Guard as a terrorist organization, sponsors of terrorism, we're able to go after a lot of their foreign assets and even assets that may may touch American shores. This is going to allow us to basically stop a lot of what they're doing, put travel restrictions on individuals that are associated with them, and say, look, we have decades of evidence showing that from the very beginning, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard has been heavily involved in sponsoring and training terrorist organizations and helping them carry out uh, their diabolical missions. And so it's going to put a lot of tools at the U.S. government's behest to be able to go after these guys. It's going to allow a lot of leverage. And it, it's a huge shift from a couple of years ago with $400 million, the Obama administration giving $400 million to Iran, to today we're labeling the Revolutionary Guard as a terrorist organization. It's a huge shift and one that uh, a, a lot of people are saying is a very major step to putting the kibosh on what they're trying to do. That's awesome. Uh, I, I was thinking about the uh, paid leave aspect of it, just to make sure everybody's kind of understands the groundwork. And I, I think these are really important conversations that sometimes people don't fully, uh, you know, understand or comprehend when they're, when they're rolled out. But at, at the end of the day, what Mike Lee is saying is that instead of you being required to be paid time and a half, you could go to your employer and say, Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to have a baby in six months or in this situation, you know, I just, I'd like more flexibility with being able to take time off. I'd like to accrue more days that I can take and get paid, right? I'd like to be able to take a week off and get paid like I showed up for 40 hours. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work overtime over the next several weeks. And then that overtime, I'm going to, instead of getting paid time and a half, kick into more vacation time where I can actually be paid while I'm gone and, and giving the employee, empowering them with the decision. Do they want the time and a half? Or do they want that full workday potentially to go towards, um, you know, more vacation, more time off, more time with their family, more time doing something else? I also think, and, and Raz, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
Um, it was Republicans in the Senate that also rolled out the you know paid maternity leave uh, plan, which was the ability for people like you and I and our wives to take withdrawals from our social security account early um, in an attempt to get some pay during a, a, during a time after the birth of a child, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a, another incredible policy. Um, you know, I think most of us who are in our 20s and 30s and uh, would not expect for Social Security to still be here, okay? I mean, anybody yeah. who is <laughs> in their 20s... So who's planning on uh, their retirement being paid out by the federal government is uh, making a plan to fail and failing to plan and all the other potential uh, iterations of of those two words. And so um, being able to give us some access to a system which we are putting hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of dollars into as a generation um, would be, I think, very advantageous and um, an incredibly good policy. So both of these seem like very common sense approaches that don't grow government, but do give people more freedom uh, to be able to make those decisions for themselves. So I, I appreciate the efforts of Senator Mike Lee on this and any other senators and congressmen who are who are pushing this legislation. Raz, well, thank you for joining us One, one final point on the, on the paid family leave and, and Lee's plan. This actually returns a really powerful freedom to employers because right now, if I'm an employer, yep. I probably, in the normal course of business, I would, instead of having to, instead of paying you uh, time and a half, it's probably better for me to cut your hours and to hire to, to 30 or something like that and hire someone else, hire another employee that I will not have to pay time and a half to make sure that I'm only paying normal time. What this would allow is allow employers the flexibility to actually give people more hours if they want them and to be able to help them provide better for their families overall, mm-hmm. as well as getting this paid time off. So either way, it provides flexibility to employers and it lets employees do what's right for them. And so it's getting government out of this employer-employee relationship in an important way that allows the market to really work better. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I am uh, going to cough or hack or make some weird noise that nobody wants to hear relatively soon. So we need to wrap this up. But Raz, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today uh, for the taxpayers and Texans out there who are concerned about the ever-growing government uh, that continues to surround us. You've got to be engaged for the next several weeks, guys. You've got to reach out to your state senators, your state representatives, the governor, the lieutenant governor's office, the speaker, and let them know that property taxpayers, that taxpayers all across the board want to be prioritized this session, that government doesn't need to grow this session, Government needs to respect the people that are continuing to allow them to stay in existence through the continual collection of our tax dollars. And they need to respect the fact that we are being overtaxed and that some of that money must be returned to us. And if you try to grow government significantly and provide tax relief, that doesn't work. Um, in fact, it's, it is uh, the, the two things are going against each other. So instead, maybe you should grow government in the particular area of public education through school finance reform, and then level out the other areas of government that cannot afford to grow right now and take any extra dollars and put them back into the pockets of property taxpayers who are being overtaxed. The burden is too high. And I can I can find a few more dollars and work a few more hours, but there are a lot of people out there that can't. There are a lot of people out there on fixed incomes. There are a lot of elderly people who do not own their home because every single month they have to write a rent check to the government. And if they fail to write that check, that home can get taken away from them. 
It's ridiculous. It must be stopped. And I hope that the legislature takes uh, serious consideration of that issue. Um, if you want to engage with Raz, go to Raz. Do I get this right? RazShafer.us. Am I right? Raz.us. I, I know that. Of course I know that. And the point is, you can follow him on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. You can go to Facebook and like uh, Luke Macias, and we will continue to keep you updated. You can go to LukeMacias.com and sign up for our email updates, and um, and we'll email you a podcast episode once a week when it comes out. We appreciate all you for listening. Uh, please continue to subscribe to the podcast, review it, um, share it with your friends and other fellow conservatives in Texas. Thank you so much for listening, guys. God bless. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit LukeMessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Messias Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much, and God bless.